Go 2018 is about our hearts and about the rededication of our hearts for the sacrificial purpose that we are placed here on earth for. I love this dialogue from Fellowship of the Ring. Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened, Gandalf says. But that is not for us to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And I love this line. It, should be in, it, it could be in the scripture. There are forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Somebody say amen. Today is about declaring to God that we will join hearts to the forces of righteousness and peace that is in the grasp of God. The question today is not, will God succeed? But will we seize the opportunity to be his friend in the struggle that he will ultimately win? God clearly spoke to my heart in prayer earlier this year about three important missions he had for Bethany Community Church. Three important missions for us to fully engage in and to increasingly resource. As you see, you've got the little booklet. You see all the missionaries that we are presently supporting. And most of them we will continue to support. We may make some changes, but most of them we will continue. But I feel like God told me and spoke to my heart, impressed upon my heart, three things. One is our own local mission, which comes under the ministry of Compassion New England. We've, we've commissioned our team to go get them. So every Monday morning they go get them. But today we want to move our hearts into union with them. And make this about your heart. If you make it about your heart, everything else will take care of itself. Make it about your heart, your attitude. Uh, by the way, I want everybody to stand who, uh, and I know some are in other areas of ministry in the building right now, but if you work in CNE in any way, any of the Blessing Barns or anything, or Happy Place, stand up. Wow, give everybody, give these people a hand. They're the warriors. They're the frontline warriors every week representing our church and God to this community. Then we have the second thing that I believe God laid on my heart was our regional mission, which is the college and university campuses. I don't think any American ministry is more important than our colleges and universities. Uh, we have Chi Alpha, which is our Assemblies of God beautiful program that's in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, on many of our campuses, and I'm very much involved with Chi Alpha. I'll, maybe I'll explain that some other time. And we gave some money to them last year. We need to do more this year. Uh, we also have InterVarsity, uh, which we have a representative from there today who has graciously partners, partnered with Jay and the youth ministry at Dean College. And the, the third thing that God spoke to my heart was international justice ministry. I don't mean that in a general term. I mean specifically an organization that we heard about last year uh, at GLS. IGM, IJM does more than anybody I know in the world in protecting the poor from violence in all the developing world. IJM partners with local authorities to rescue victims through criminals, from criminals, uh, especially those caught up in human trafficking, and they bring justice to survivors and strengthen justice systems. And later I will tell you uh, some very clear personal story and a very clear personal confirmation that I believe God was leading us to pick up the passion of IJM. So in closing to my part right now, today is about three things. Today is about aligning our hearts with the passion of God's heart. Will you say amen to that? 
Number two, today it's about celebrating with grateful hearts those who put their lives on the line to alleviate human suffering and elevate human hope. Would you say amen to that? Number three, today is about finding the courage to pray, here am I, send me, no matter what that means. Would you agree to say that you will consider, you just consider it right now, you can't commit to it until you hear more. You will consider saying, here am I, send me, whatever that means. Would you say amen to that? Well, God bless you all. I want to turn the uh, stage over to Jason McCutcheon, our youth pastor, and, uh, and he's going to talk to us about our regional mission, which is campus ministries. So, um, as you know, um, New England is highly colleged, um, and uh, we're considered to be highly intelligent, and, and not only do we have a lot of our local people going to um, our colleges in our area, but believe it or not, it's actually a ridiculously um, important international missions opportunity as well. And so, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer, I think, that we would really make this an area of importance for us. Not only that, we have a, a campus right in our community in Franklin, in Dean College. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we as a church, when we were looking and praying about this, you know, colleges are all about forming people's minds you know, giving them direction for their life, teaching them independence, right? And, and by and large, we think there's, there's a lot of positive things happening in campuses. I'm not a person who's just going to say, oh, college is terrible and, <clears throat> and it's ruining people. But we also know that there's not a lot of, you know, the gospel on a lot of these campuses. And, and we believe that there's a place for that point of view in our American campuses. We believe... Um, when you're trying to figure stuff out, you should have all the options, right? And so we believe that we need to bring the gospel onto American campuses. We need to make that an area of importance. And, you know, I guess shame on us for letting it slip away. But all we can do is do better. And so I want to show you guys a video of um, InterVarsity. I've, I've partnered with Aaron over the last couple months and two varying levels of success. And... Um, Dean campus, but I believe um, in Jesus' name that he's going to do something there, that he has a plan for that campus. Um, and so InterVarsity is an awesome um, just uh, ministry. I have a lot of um, contacts and people I know that work there. And so not only do I know that they have good ideas and good um, curriculums and good collateral, but they also have really good people that really love um, New England and love the students in New England. So this is InterVarsity. So, what are you doing here? Getting a degree? Making friends? Looking for that special someone? Figuring out what you want to be when you grow up? Having the best four or five or six years of your life? We're all here for something. We're here to really learn in our classes and in everything else. To make our campus a better place. To love everybody to listen to each other's stories, and yeah, to make lifelong friends. To be part of a community that's fun, diverse, honest, encouraging, challenging, and loyal. We're seeking wisdom, reading the Bible for ourselves deeply and together. Getting to know Jesus, becoming more like him, more just, compassionate, generous, and truthful. 
telling people about him now and for the rest of our lives. We're here to find our purpose in this great big beautiful world. That's what we're doing here. What are you doing here? Without further ado, I want to invite Erin Corey to the stage. She's um, wonderfully with child, so, yeah. So, um, Aaron, thanks for coming today. That's yours. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do for InterVarsity? Well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me. It is absolutely an honor to be here. I've been at the forum space which is really cool. Um, and this place is wonderful, and I'm so glad to be here. And my role with InterVarsity is that I'm the director of Southeast Massachusetts. And so that is, you know, spanning from you guys are sort of the outer edge all the way to Cape Cod Community College. And there's about 10 campuses and thousands, literally thousands of students who have to be reached with the gospel. Um, so tell me a little bit about, like, if the, you know, how many, how, how many guys went to college? Okay, so how many of you guys would say you went to college like over 20 years ago? <laughs> okay, so it's a little different. And, and so it, it, for all of us, what's like one thing we need to know about college campuses now that we might not know in terms of, especially in terms of like, you know, living out a Christian life or getting yeah. to know the gospel? Yeah. I think the thing that's the most compelling about the campus is that truly if you change the campus, you do change the world. And you mentioned that in your intro that most people who become leaders, influencers of any industry, whether that's education um, to business to finance, are going to come through the gates of a university. And they will in southeast Massachusetts. And what's more, I think now, probably more than 20 years ago, is the world is coming here to be educated. So we do focus a lot as the church on global missions, and yet you go to a place like Dean College, and there are students from Southeast Asia who've come there, uh, students from Mexico, students from India, and all over the world who are there for an education. So you have no idea, and I'll just share a little bit of my story if that's okay. Uh, I grew up in Europe my whole life. My father was a journalist and that took us abroad. And I ended up coming to the States for four years to get a degree. And then God interrupted my life on the college campus. I went to Wheaton College in Norton, Massachusetts. And God interrupted my life and gave me a heart and a vision to see students come to faith. And so instead of going back overseas, I stayed in Southeast Mass. And I've been a missionary in this area for almost a decade. So you have no idea what God could do with a college student who comes from anywhere. It could come from here, from Menden, or from halfway across the globe to influence the kingdom in this area. How many, guys, how many of you guys accepted Christ between 18 and 22 years old? That's, so, so here's the thing. I feel like that's indicative of the challenge. Yeah. You know, because there's some more, uh, we'll say, pressing issues when you're 18 or 22 that um, can take up your focus. So how do we get college kids' attention when we're on these campuses? Like, what's the InterVarsity method? What's the way? Our method is not so much with um, flashy presentation, but I think with authenticity. What millennials, what Gen Z is looking for is honesty uh, and also focusing on what matters. So our ministry is a lot about encountering God. It's not only about an intellectual pursuit of the Bible. It's about Jesus, and it's about seeing God face to face. It's about reconciliation. Uh, we believe that 
God is a God who reconciles people who are far from him and also different ethnicities in this country. Uh, he speaks right into all of that. So we meet students there. And sort of our main strategy, if you will, is that if you look in, um, in John, in the Gospel of John, you see that the way Jesus's ministry grew was come and see, is that Jesus connected with people, changed their lives, and they invited their friends. So there are natural social networks all over the campus. And we actually believe that I'm not the most qualified person. Jay is not the most qualified person to reach not. Dean. It's actually Dean College students. I have my little banner I wanted to show you for Dean right here. Um, Dean College students are potential missionaries waiting to be empowered and released. Do you believe that this morning? That students can be missionaries who need to encounter the Holy Spirit, who need to be developed in their gifts, and then they need to be released on their own campus, in their dorms, in their cafeteria. They're way more likely to build trust with other students than a pregnant woman walking around on campus, right? So a college student who encounters God and is told, you actually can bring people to Jesus and you can have an influence in the kingdom, we've seen things explode in that way. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what God is doing in campuses. I mean, it, I guess in a general sense, but also with InterVarsity in this area. Yeah, so we, uh, in the last five years or so, I think we realized in InterVarsity that we've had great strategies and systems and programs, um, but we require the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're longing to see revival. And I know that can be a catchphrase right now, perhaps, um, but we're actually embodying that in setting up altars of prayer and worship all over our campuses and asking students, will you come and pray and seek the Lord for your campus? Uh, we recognize that the things we offer God are crumbs and he needs to multiply them. And so we're seeking his face and his power to do that. And students, if you think about the history of revival, it's usually a student generation that comes alive with the love of God that changes something. And there's like an inbreaking of the Holy Spirit. First, second, Great Awakenings, Azusa Revival. These were students um, in their roots that started it. So we're asking our students, will you get up at 7 a.m. on a college campus daily to pray and seek the Lord? And that is sort of the culture of our team right now. And we're doing it as staff. We have uh, little nooks and crannies all over our team where we're gathering to pray and seek God and say, God, we need you to move in New England, and we know that you can, that you will. So how can, oh, that's great. So how can we help? Yeah, so we need partners. Um, I love being here, and I love seeing all of you. I think each one of you, to me, represents uh, a person of influence, and you know people that we don't know all over Southeast Mass. Uh, we need partners who are interceding in prayer for these campuses. So maybe you drive by, Dean, and you don't give it a second thought. I would ask you, if you drive near Franklin, can you put a note in your phone as a reminder to pray for the students, to pray for who God will send there, and to keep campuses in your prayers. That's one huge way. And then second is resources, financial resources. I'm a missionary to this area. My team are missionaries and we're fully supported by Kids don't give you people. a bunch of money? No, no. Wow. And we don't ask our students to support us. That would be weird. So yeah. we ask other people to support us like you guys who care about seeing the gospel go forward and the kingdom advance. Um, so yes, resources are needed for programs to send and disciple and equip students. Um, and I can just jump in there like for Dean, for instance, Dean needs a person. It, it's kind of like, it's rough. Yeah, Dean's <laughs> funny. 
it's a it's rough, quirky, yeah. And it needs like dedicated work. Like yes. you couldn't just show up there, yeah. Like and hand out some flyers and expect anything to happen. Exactly. So like we we're essentially like this is how I like to look at missions. We're buying their time. Yep. You're buying their time. You're saying like, hey, we want to empower you to yeah. de dedicate time to do this work because right. we believe in it. Yeah. And so I would encourage you guys um, to really, really um, think about the campuses and. and I know it's um, fashionable in uh, American churches to poo-poo um, what's, you know, the corrupting of young minds on sure, campuses. And, sure. and, and there's some truth to it. But I would encourage us to focus more on what is our opportunity. Yeah. What is our opportunity in college campuses? What could God do with us if we focused yeah. on what we could do and not what we can't do? Yeah. And I think what we can do is we can give to this fund. We can give to go. And, and you'll know that these, this money is going to be going to awesome people like Aaron and awesome people like Chi Alpha. And it's going to make a major difference. Any, any, anything else you kind of want to leave with these yeah. awesome people? I think the role of full-time missionaries like me and other staff is that we help challenge Christian students who are on these campuses to not be a Christian in spite of the campus, but to be a Christian for the campus and to fundamentally see themselves as sent, which you all are too, by the way. You are sent into your local grocery store or into your cubicle, and so are these students. And when Christian students are left on their own on a campus, they tend to give in to fear and security, and they'll gather in Bible studies and worship, but they won't share it, and they won't move outward. So the role of a staff is to keep pointing out and say, look at the harvest field. It's ripe, and let's go. So please, if you would pray for us, if you would partner with us, it would be an immense blessing. And I'm just so excited to see in the next couple of years how ministry explodes in Southeast. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, why don't we give her a hand? She was awesome. Uh, again, like we have opportunities to give in the app, recurring giving. So if you want to give to Campus Missions, just sign up um, in the app and to the Go 2018 Fund. So now, Pastor Phil. Thank you, Aaron. You 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 won me over. I just I could can you just sense uh, I, I I sensed uh, an anointing. I sense competence. I love competence. I sense that in you, Aaron. Thank you so much, and I know the people were touched. Um, I, nothing makes me as angry as the idea that I think it's like four million people, or is it four or five million? are actually human slaves in 2018. That, that's just unreal to me, that people are enslaved to other people in uh, all kinds of trades all around the world, and the sex trade, of course, little children. It just, it just nauseates me. I just, the other night I was at this meeting where they were talking about these uh, ch little children in the Philippines that are that are put in front of a computer and where men around the world, including many Americans, American men, pay to get on their computer and they will have the child perform sex acts that they watch. And this is such an injustice and you cannot love God and not be angry about this. I'm furious. And, and I, I don't mean to criticize anybody, but... I've always I've been looking for somebody that I felt was really doing something about it. And I remember, and this is not to criticize, but I had a missionary one time 
who said he was a missionary to, to, for human trafficking. And I took him out to lunch afterward because he had gotten up in front of a church, this is many years ago, and given all these statistics about human trafficking. And I looked across the dinner table, the lunch table at him, and I said, have you ever been involved with anyone who's been trafficked? He said, no. And, and I think he really wanted to. Now, I don't think it's because he didn't want to, but it's a very difficult very difficult area to, 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 to do anything about. So uh, Gary Haugen spoke last year at the Global Leadership Summit. And when he spoke, I wept. I sat back there on this side and I just cried while he was talking. And I said, you know, that guy is doing something. And I, he was, he's the founder of IJM. And he, was, he, he began in 1994, he was in charge of the United Nations investigation into the Rwanda genocides. And uh, I could tell he was a genuine Christian. So I just said, I put in the back of my mind, our church is going to support them financially. We are going to begin to give to that ministry. And I just kept in the back of my mind. And then I announced to the staff a couple months ago, three months ago, I think it was, of these three emphasis that I felt God was leading me to. Within two weeks, I get this Facebook message from uh, Kelly Santos Beyond. Kelly, are you here? Kelly, where are you? Well, why don't you come up here where people can see you? I just want you to, everybody to meet Kelly. And just... Just come and stand in the light there where people can see, and I'm going to let you go back to your seat because we're kind of tight on time here today. Uh, uh, Kelly uh, worked for IJM in Guatemala for a year or two, right? So anyway, thank you, Kelly. And uh, Kelly sends, sends me this this Facebook message, would you like to go to this prayer service for IJM? And Gary Haugen's going to be there. And I thought, that's cool. I, I think God is confirming to me that this is what he wants to do. And so I went, I went to the, I, was, I, I said, yes, I'll go. And then like a week later, she said, would you like to have dinner with Gary? And I said, well, I'd be honored to do that. And I figured, oh, there'd be like 40, 50 people there. And, and Gary's going to really hit us hard for money. I thought those two things, it's just fine with me. I, I get that. I have, to, I have to raise money all the time. So I'm not, I'm not upset that people raise money. I mean, you, you have to go raise money for your life. And so what's, what's the big deal? Uh, but instead of 40, 50 people, was five, I go to this little Greek restaurant in Cambridge, and it was five people with Gary. And I just felt, first of all, I felt so honored that I get to be with this guy who's, who's a really heavyweight in this field. And he didn't say anything about money. You know what he talked about for an hour? Prayer. All he talked about was prayer. It's interesting you would bring that up too. Uh, 8.30 every morning, every staff member who comes to work, and there's like a 1,000 employees at IJM, they all have to pray from 8.30 to 9 at their desk. And then like at 11.30, the whole staff meets for prayer. And they pray for the, the suffering people, and they pray for all the situations where people are being rescued from slavery all around the world. Uh, man, I, he won me over big time, even more than, than I was already won over. And I even got my picture with him, and I noticed when he came back, my eyes were closed. So I, <laughs> I don't know what happened. So let me just give you a little bit about IJM before I step aside and introduce our local ministry. IJM st uh, it started in 1997 uh, after realizing that most faith-based organizations focus on charity and not justice work. While the charity work is needed and appreciated, there was a need for people around the world to free 
people from violence, slavery, and systemic oppression. International Justice Mission is a global organization which protects the poor from violence in the developing world by, number one, partnering with local authorities to rescue victims of violence, bring criminals to justice, restore survivors through aftercare. IGM focuses on justice system transformation by training and equipping local law enforcement and justice systems. They have six areas of focus, combat sex trafficking, land theft, like when a widow has her land stolen, sexual violence, police abuse of power, and citizens' rights abuse, when people can't get proper documentation when they're legally entitled to it. They're headquartered in Washington, D.C., with 17 field offices in Africa, Latin America, and Southeast Asia, and they have five partner offices. As I mentioned, Kelly worked with IGM in the Guatemala office, where they focus on sexual violence against children. She's currently involved in the Boston volunteer team, uh, and they work with local state advocacy to, to get funding for local and international programs to help victims of human trafficking. We have got to do something about this. We cannot allow this to happen and do nothing. That's my message for you today. And um, we're going to watch a little video, and then I want to introduce uh, uh, CNE. Our children are precious. We want them to live in a world where they can grow up happy, safe, and free. But for millions of children today, this is not their world. Sold, abused, trapped, alone. Slavery is stealing the lives and hopes of millions of children and families around the world. Girls are being sold for sex. Children are being held as slaves, forced to work long hours in brutal conditions. They have no freedom or hope. They have no one to protect them. They need to know that someone is fighting for me. We are International Justice Mission. We are on the front lines fighting for those in slavery today. Just like we fought for Joshua, a boy who was taken from his family and forced to work on a fishing boat in Ghana, who was beaten and malnourished. But we found Joshua and worked with police to rescue him we got Joshua. and other boys. We gave them clothes, food and water. They were afraid, but we made sure they were safe. Because like Joshua, every child deserves to be free and safe. To have a reason to laugh, a time to play. But for millions in our world, this freedom and safety cannot come without a fight because real criminals actively prey on the vulnerable. The fight is real, but we are seeing that it can be won. By partnering with local police to arrest and prosecute the criminals, we are sending the message, you will not win. We will not go away until all are free and safe. But this fight can only be won with an army of 
passionate supporters. If we want to see all children free and safe, then we must unite and fight together. We need you to join this growing movement to keep fighting until all are free. Only together will every child be confident there is someone fighting for me. The way, one of the ways this all ties together is Gary was, Gary was educated at Harvard and a wonderful Christian on campus mentored him and taught him how to pray. And he t told us about that that night. Well, we don't have to go to Washington, D.C., or we don't have to go overseas to find really rock stars for missions. We got rock stars for missions right here at Bethany who work every week to take the love of Christ in very tangible ways to this community. And the lead rock star is, happens to be my wife. And uh, I want to... I want to introduce uh, Sherry. I want you to come, and I want you to tell us about Compassion New England and what God is doing through you and the rest of the team and our church. Good morning. First thing I want to tell you is that missions has always been really important here at Bethany. And uh, when Phil and I came to Bethany more than 30 years ago, there were very few people. It was seven people, and I think four of them were kids. And uh, so it wasn't a very big group of people to um, see as a, um, a sea of people who are going to change the world. But I want to tell you something. I saw it. I saw it then. And I knew that something amazing was going to happen through this place. We made a decision to, by faith, give to missions the same time that we made the decision to, by faith, actually give Phil and I a salary because Phil had been working full-time so we could be here. And those two decisions were made consecutively. And since that time, Bethany has been engaged in having lots of missionaries that we support. And we believe in missions. We believe in missions locally, and we believe in missions abroad. And we believe that when we give, we are doing the thing that we've been told to do. And you know what will happen as a result of obedience is the blessings can't be stopped to our lives. So this morning, I want to introduce to you, and I'm going to do this very fast. If you walk in the door of the blessing barn and you um, just come in and we don't recognize you as a regular customer, we say to you, good morning or good afternoon. We're so glad you're here. Is this your first time here? And if they say yes, we say, we are so glad you're here. Do you have a minute we can tell you what we do? And people most of the time say, sure. And then we begin to tell them this. You're in a place that um, has been given an opportunity to make a local difference to local need. And our church, Bethany Community Church, had this idea that if we begin to gather things, put those things out in a beautiful way, sell those things, we will have the renewable source of income to make a local difference. And that's what we do here. And so everywhere you look, you're seeing partnership. 
You're seeing partnership with the community because they bring their stuff. You're seeing partnership with the community because they come and volunteer and be a part of doing the work. You're seeing partnership with the community because the community brings us those who are in need. And we work with SMOC and Healthy Families and WIC. We work with 14 different um, programs that work with special needs high school students and adults that bring their students to our vocational program. And these are the things we do. Number one, we have a crisis care center. And in that crisis care center, we do a ton of things. Last year, we met with so many people, 647 individuals. Wow, you guys, that's a lot of people. Our food pantry served 145 families. We raised enough money through our stores to give back to our community. $395,000 through programs and cash investments. And then our voucher program gave back about $90,000 worth of furniture, clothing, and household items. That's a big investment, right? And you guys know how, just like there's no nursery fairies taking care of the nursery workers, in, I mean the babies in the nursery, and there's just really not people who just wait around in there all 24-7. There's really not um, people who just wait in the basement of the blessing barn to bring in stuff. People have to purpose to go there. And I love this whole idea of going because... It's my favorite kind of missions, is the kind where I go. And some of us, we get comfortable with the you go and I stay. Mm. You go and I'll throw a little bit at you. And let me tell you something, you going is the best thing you could ever do for you. Um, I would invite Megan Petty to the stage. Megan runs the happy place. And I want to invite the Perdomo family to the stage. Megan, have a seat here. So Megan runs the happy place, and she's a happy place buddy, and she's wearing her happy place buddy shirt. Tell them, <laughs> so this is interesting. The happy place is currently serving 27 families in our clubhouse program. And, and you have kids who are um, waiting, right? So tell us why. Sure, we have a waiting list um, right now because we need buddies, we need volunteers. Uh, we have a couple paid staff, but the reason we're able to keep this free for families, which is huge if you have a child with special needs, there's a lot of costs that come into that yearly. Um, but the reason there's a waiting list is because we need volunteers to help us facilitate um, our clubhouse program. So if you can be a clubhouse buddy, today you have a chance to sign up. So I want you to meet Nathan's mom. Can we show a picture of Nathan? Uh, 
So this is Bonnie, and Bonnie has a name besides Nathan's mom, right? <laughs> and Bonnie um, and her family got a surprise, right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> like I did. Tell us a little bit about Nathan and tell us about what um, the change he has brought to your family. Okay, so Nathan is seven years old. Um, he has a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. So um, he's brought a lot of love, a lot of challenges to our family. <laughs> um, we do have two older boys, they're 20 and 24, and they're awesome with him. And our oldest, Christian, is married, Jen, and she's amazing also with Nathan. So we're really blessed to have the support of our family. Um, Nathan, like I said, he's seven years old, but Basically, he has the mindset of a two-year-old. So if you can think of all the care and attention that goes into taking care of a two-year-old, we've been doing that for the last seven years. So he has a, also a lot of challenging behaviors. Um, he's basically nonverbal. He can make simple requests for food for his iPad. But when he comes home from school, he can't tell us about his day. He can't you know, talk about who his friends are. Um, that also adds a lot of concerns because he can't tell if he's hurt, if someone's said something or done something to him. So, um, you know, typically a seven-year-old has some independence and can stand up for himself or tell a mom or a teacher if something's going on. So, you know, it's, it's challenging in that way as well. Um, there's also a lot of, a lot more concerns about the future with our other boys. We know he's going to go to school, go to college graduate, get a good job, and become independent. Um, I feel like with Nathan, we really don't know what the future is going to be like with him. So as a parent, that's, that's challenging as well. So what are some of the ways that, uh, first of all, how do you hear about the happy place? Oh, this is great. Um, <laughs> I work for Head Start, so um, I work with some low-income families. And I brought a number of families to the Blessing Barn for the fill-in program, which is great. And uh, when I was there, I saw the card for the happy place. So I asked Shane about it. And Megan just happened to be in the building that day. So she introduced us. And um, we were, I, she gave me an appointment on the spot to, to come back and meet with her and Susan Pfeffer. And I remember going in, and I was so nervous. I had his IEP. I had his medical records, income documentation, because typically that's what programs ask for when you're looking for services for a child with special needs. Um, Basically, we went in, they said, tell us a little bit about Nathan. You know, I told them about his personality, you know, how he does at school. And they said, sounds like he'll be a good fit for the happy place. <laughs> so it was just such a relief to hear that. And um, he's been going for almost two years, and it's been great. So explain to them, what does it mean that Nathan goes to the happy place? So what does that actually mean in terms of hours? And what does that mean for your family? What do you do when he's not there? When he's out the happy place yeah. and out with you. Okay. Um, so basically, families get eight hours of, of care. Um, you know, you can break it up any way you want during the month on Thursday and Friday evenings. Typically, what we do is try to go, you know, maybe two evenings a month. You know, by the end of the week, we're pretty worn out. So we'll drop Nathan off for three or four hours, just go out to dinner or do some errands, and then, you know, pick him up and be recharged for the weekend. But um, 
is also pretty amazing, the timing of when we became involved with the Happy Place, because my, my oldest son was getting married. So the first time he went to the Happy Place, it was actually their rehearsal dinner. So we were able to drop him off, go enjoy the rehearsal dinner. And the week after that was our other son's high school graduation. So again, we to drop him off, go enjoy the graduation without having to run around after him or you know, one of us have to take him out and, and miss out on this, the graduation or the dinner. So it's been fantastic. You know what? Thank you a lot, Megan, for doing that. <laughs> for real. Missionaries, the word mission means to go. It used to actually mean go abroad. Jesuits came up with that, with that term. But um, for Megan, she's been called to go to a place that many of you are afraid of. It's scary to be around special needs kids or special needs adults for people who feel like you, you have this tremendous sense of um, inadequacy, you know? And the great thing about um, the buddy program is that Megan will equip you. So I want you to just share really briefly uh, what happens when they become a buddy and how much you need from them? Like the bare minimum you need from a buddy. You need to be able to speak. No, I'm kidding. Um, all right. So to be a buddy, it's pretty simple. Who loves kids out here? Can barely see with the lights. Awesome. All right. So all of you would make good candidates. Um, you have to do a Corey background check. We do a training with you guys at our Whitensville facility. So we run through the policies and procedures. We uh, give you a little info about all the kids that we'll be working with so you don't just come in and not recognize anyone. Um, we're really looking for people who want to foster a sense of community with all of these individuals. Because what we love about BCC is that it's community oriented, right? We have community groups, we have um, forum Wednesday nights, all these opportunities to kind of check in with each other and hang out. So we want to make uh, the happy place, clubhouse, that an opportunity for people with special needs as well. So. So one last thing, why should this church keep doing this? Um, it's, it's an amazing program. Um, it's, it's a great break for families, but it's also, Nathan loves going there. Um, you know, he enjoys the kids. I feel like one thing that's really made a difference to me is, you know, when I go to the school, they tell me about his progress. They'll always say, you know, so-and-so, these kids are really good with Nathan, and then I remember one time last year I went to pick him up and Megan said, oh, he played with so-and-so. They're really good friends. I'm like, wow, that's the first time, <laughs> you know, someone's ever put it in those terms. So that's really great. But also, um, it's a great way to reach out to the community. I mean, we actually came to this church because we got connected with the Happy Place, and it's been great for us. But there's a number of families who use the Happy Place who don't go to to Bethany and it's open to anyone and there's just such a need out there so it's just another way to, to reach out to the community and especially a lot of times families with kids with special needs you know you we feel isolated a lot of times because there's not always a lot of support it's not always easy to bring your kids out in public so it's, it just feels a tremendous need for the community thank you guys so much I want you to watch this video about seeing.
At Compassion New England, we have taken the approach of really looking at our community and saying, what are the needs? What are needs that people really have? And so we've developed a variety of programs that actually meet those needs. And one of them is the fill-in program. We take items that we have in our thrift stores and people who have needs come in. They have a meeting with someone um, on our staff, a care representative, who hears their story and is able to give them vouchers to shop in our store for um, physical items that they would need for their family and their home. We operate the Happy Place, which works with all of our special needs population and providing vocational opportunities and clubs for kids. We have an amazing thrift store called The Blessing Barn, and the proceeds go right back to the community. BCC is such a phenomenal place to have community and to worship, um, not only because obviously the experience that you have on a Sunday morning, but BCC really believes that the church extends that Monday through Saturday, um, and not only through activities that are for the people of the church, but we've created an opportunity for people who attend our church to get involved with something that's bigger than themselves. You can partner to be involved in programs and activities and things that happen that really change people's lives and spread hope in a real tangible way. So why give? Why give to any of these things? And I'll tell you why. Um, because people matter. Nathan, having friends matters. Really matters. It matters to his mom and it matters to God. Yeah. Because when people are desperate and they've made bad decisions and they are at a low place, <laughs> they might be able to hear a message of hope. Maybe their ears are ready to hear what the Spirit is saying to them, the hope that's being offered to them. And I want to I give you a chance to just hear a brief amount of Deb's story. I'm going to have you grab that mic, Deb. This is my friend, Deb Rainier. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I met Deb a long time ago when she was a little kid. Um, her little sister used to come to preschool here. And um, when I met Deb when she was an adult, she was at a difficult time in her life. Tell us about that real quick. I had just landed here um, from Florida, and I had left my husband with um, my two kids in my car, and that's basically what we had. We were staying with family, and it wasn't permanent, so there was really no stability in that. Um, and I was just, I knew that I needed God in that moment, like when I got back, and that was the only thing I did. Once a week, I came here to church on Sundays, and I sat in the third row, like right over there, behind Mr. Matson, for probably like a month. And then one day he just said, tell me about your story. And I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up talking to me. And long and short, um, I ended up becoming eligible to be 
um, a part of the Blessing House, which has completely turned my life around. Um, Deb has had uh, a wonderful 18 months and a really terrible 18 months because during the time that she's been in the Blessing House in this program where we've been helping her to um, rethink life, relearn life, um, their family suffered a very difficult thing. Um, do you feel comfortable talking about that? Um, during a visitation with their father, um, my children found him overdosed and dead. And um, it was in those moments, though, you know that God's really there because within like two hours, my house was filled with people. There were groceries in loaded up and there were people helping me clean up for like a DCF investigation, just everything. But it was the community of people around me that came there and were there in our time of need that helped me make it through it because without probably each and every one of you, I wouldn't have made it through it. And I probably wouldn't be standing here telling you that everything is turning out okay. You know, you cannot put a dollar amount on what it means for a generation to be revolutionized by the power of love. And Deb is standing here today because somebody in your congregation met her, happened to be Mr. Matson, met her and just kept saying to me, hey, you need to meet this girl. Hey, have you taken the time to connect with her? Hey, you know, he was the door knocker. But guess what else he is? He's an investor. He invests financially, he invests his life, he's a goer. I am so proud to be say I was raised by goers. People who go with their heart, their time, their money, their investment. And because of that, and because so many of you have joined in Deb's story, um, God is doing some amazing things in her life and in the life of her kids, and things are not the same. Tell us a couple of things that have changed for you. Um, I have been given the tools to make wiser financial decisions. Um, I was like upside down in my car loan when I got here, and now it's scheduled to be paid off like in a year, which is a year and a half early than what it was going to be. Um, wow. I just found that out yesterday. I'm really proud of you. So good. <laughs> did you did you get to have every single thing you wanted and do that, or did you? Oh no, no, oh, okay. no! Nope. I didn't get anything I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's really hard, but um, with the tools, you are able to learn to live again, basically, and not just live um, paycheck to paycheck, but knowing that there's a purpose and that you need to spend your money wisely and just be a good example for my children because I'm the only one they're going to have. Why should this church go 
into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Why? Because I'm not the only one out there with this story. There are so many people who are in the same situation. They just have to be willing to put in the time and the effort to go through something like this. Thank you, Deb. Will you go? Why do we need money? I'm going to tell you a very simple reason why you should give. Um, first of all, the Bible tells us in Matthew, and I'm not going to read this scripture, but I want you to read this scripture. Why give to obey scripture? The fundamental of a Christian's life is obedience to God's word. And there's hungry people there. There's thirsty people. There's spiritual hunger, and there is actual physical hunger. Um, so obedience to scripture. And then the second reason, and this is so important, is to make God's presence known. To make God's presence known in this community, on Dean campus, to make God's presence known in all of those places in our world where we have allowed injustice to be something that is commonplace, where commerce is equated with children and the vile appetites of mankind. Why give? Because you are willing to obey. Why give? Because you cannot go everywhere. But you can send God's presence into the world. Now, there are several ways for you to give. And we are working hard to raise some funds today. We want to raise $1,000 for um, our campus missions. We want to raise $24,000 for foreign missions and $48,000 for a local mission. And I think that that is so small. I think we need to raise much more than this. You can give by going to... Um, Giving Central in the lobby. You can give online at BCC Online. You can give at the BCC app. And today, we really want you to pray for a moment. I'm going to let you guys just take a moment and pray. And we're, we're honestly and truly challenging this church to see what will happen in your life if you commit to giving. We're requesting $40 a month. And I will tell you something, if you're someone, you look at your budget, you know you cannot do $40, you find the, the person who can give 20 and the two of you become missions buddies and you pray for missions and you both give 20 and hold each other accountable. Or if you have to find four people, you do that. But let's make a commitment, a real commitment to go. So, again, what we're really asking for is everybody, um, if you can commit to giving $40 a month, we can raise over 80 grand for missions, which is very significant. Um, yeah, that's, 
like that's literally ten dollars a week. It's like four cups of coffee. Um, it's it's easy, honestly, and and I really believe um, if if there's anything that our church I think makes us special, I think it's this. It's our heart for this. You know, there's 450 people in our church. We do more than churches of thousands. And I think, like, that's awesome. That's not a brag on us or anything. It's just, like, that's our calling. This is what we're called to do. We're in, we're in the center of our anointing when we, when we do things for other people like this. And we're setting the tone in New England. This is what churches can do. So I, I'm praying that God would just, if you're thinking, I can't, how can I give $40 a month? I'm praying that you would just think of something you can give up. Something you can give up to make that pledge and, and, and don't just sign it on the paper but really move that money around and find a way to do it. We have cards as well if, you would, or if you're a person that would rather just fill up the card but we also have it in the app. We have it on. So there's a lot of ways to do it. So we're going to sing and as, as we sing this song I want you to begin to just fill out the cards. I want you to begin to open up that app and I want you to just begin to really pray and maybe God's asking some of you guys to do more.